0: I'm Alex Wong, and the Wong Takes start now. What's up, everybody? It is finals week for many of you out there on this Tuesday, December 19, 2017. But that will not stop us from talking about the latest happenings in the world of sports. Uh, before we get to it, I uh, have a little bit of news uh, we don't. We're not going to have a normal Wong takes coming out next week. It's a little uh, winter break for all of us. But uh, sometime, hopefully, before Tuesday, uh, maybe Monday or Sunday of next week, or if not, then it'll be two weeks after. Uh, I will try to record and post a new intro uh, because that's something I've been meaning to do for a while. Because the intro, currently, that's the trailer, was recorded like before I made any episodes, and it's pretty bad. So I decided to make a new intro along with a major topic and a quick take. So if you know anyone that might be interested, uh, I would suggest putting them on the show maybe this week or next week when I post the new intro. Because it will be updated with what this show is about and you guys already know. So cool, that's the news. So let's get to the topics. And the first one is that Roger Goodell... Is planning to retire. He has stated that his most fi- uh, his most recent five-year extension as commissioner of the NFL will mark the end of his tenure at that position. Uh, in addition, he will help the league find a successor for him after he retires. And Goodell, he has been with the league for a long time. He's been with them since 1982, and he's been the commissioner of the NFL since September of 26, or 2006, when he succeeded Paul Tagliabue. Now, in this time. That he's been with the league. It's been good because he's provided some stability to the league once he's become commissioner and kind of established that uh, establishment force at the top of the league. And that's been appreciated by many owners. He's been known as a pretty owner friendly commissioner. Not as much could be said about his relationship with the players, but that we'll talk about that a little bit. Now, he has had a rocky tenure, even though he's been this force in the NFL for so long. He's had plenty, he's had to handle plenty of scandals. And not all of them well. So first, of course, is the domestic violence disputes that have really come into play the last couple of years. I think it really started with Ray Rice's uh, suspension in 2014. That was initially two games that got changed to an indefinite suspension uh, after a new video was released that showed him uh, punching his then-girlfriend, now, I think, wife. Um, And the fact that the suspension was so short at first and that he was kind of wishy-washy on the issue, then that he didn't really extend it until that video came out, because it would have been really bad optics to keep the suspension as it was, may, may have come off as insincere to a lot of people, particularly those who have been affected by domestic violence. And I think some of that was deserved. I think the suspension should have been longer. I've stated many times that domestic violence, I think, is a very punishable offense and should be at more than the six games that uh, players are usually given. Uh, another suspension was Greg Hardy who had his reduced to four games in 2015 for domestic violence and he eventually made a comeback. Uh, the Cowboys, I believe, he's not in the league anymore, but he, the fact that he was able to stay in the league for that long despite all of his troubles uh, says a lot. And also Ezekiel Elliott, most recently, who is coming back this week after a six-game suspension. Uh, this had a combination of things that people don't like in, domestic, in the way this was handled in the fact that his domestic violence uh, suspension was only six games. And also the f- the bureaucracy of it, the fact that he had to go through this trial, and uh, the the, the his, his suspension got drawn out over the course of the year, and we never knew when he was going to get suspended. Uh, that that doesn't appeal to a lot of people. Speaking of scandals, uh, the various gates that he had to s- deal with, a uh, bounty gate in which Saints players were rewarded for injurious hits, um, that was handled well actually. He he suspended their GM and many of their coaches on the Saints, including Sean Payton. Who, and they each got long suspensions, like year-long suspensions. So that, I think that was handled pretty well. Not the same, however, could be said. Might not be entirely his fault, but much of the blame gets shouldered on him, is Deflategate, which was the New England Patriots deflating footballs in the AFC Championship game. And I think that, that's another thing where the bureaucracy, in combination with the punishment and just being there for so long, is going to hurt the image of the NFL in a lot of eyes. And another thing he had to preside over in his tenure was moving two teams to LA, uh, the Rams and the Chargers, and that drew the criticism of many owners who didn't like that these were being these teams were being removed from their home stadiums and from their home cities. And initial returns uh, are not positive for for just in general as far as attendance wise and stuff. The Rams are better now, and that's drawing bigger crowds. But you see with the Chargers, like the fan base just isn't there. And a move back to San Diego is not really likely, but it's his discontent has built uh, of Roger Goodell due to these issues. Um, and then there's also the most recent player protests that he's both had to deal with and have also hurt his favorability. So this has hurt his favorability with owners as well. as The Cowboys' Jerry Jones, according to ESPN, was a leading voice, quote, among 17 NFL owners on a conference call that discussed the possibility of halting Commissioner Roger Goodell's contract extension. So this shows the tide of owners turning against him as well as players. And I think this issue is going to be one of the big long-term issues for the NFL, along with, of course, player safety. Um, this whole protest issue, it's, it's nothing that's just going to go away, even with a new commissioner. This is going to stay as long as there are injustices in the world. Um, now, finally, one more interesting thing about Roger Goodell before he leave, leaves, excuse me is he will be able to oversee the creation of the next CBA, Collective Bargaining Agreement. Now, the current one, which was negotiated in 2011, is set to expire in 2021, and a 132-day lockout occurred before the creation of this most recent CBA, and this, some kind of lockout or some kind of dispute between labor and management is bound to happen again, um, because the NFLPA, they they show no signs of backing down in this next labor agreement. There are a lot of things that the players want to talk about, whether that be more guaranteed contracts or Thursday night football or better uh, concussion, coverage, etc. But the NFLPA is already telling players, which forms Labor Union, uh, to save up in case of another lockout so that the league doesn't have as much leverage in negotiations saying, look, you need the money. Uh, the players are less likely, to, and the, the union is less likely to fold. And this is via NFLPA executive George Atala, and I got that through SB Nation. So this is gonna this CBA whatever comes out of it whether that be the players get more uh more responsibilities more more money or the owners keep their power over the players that's gonna set the stage for what the next commissioner has to deal with also particularly when the next CBA will end probably another ten year term but we're yet to see so he still has plenty so Roger Goodell he's had a long he's had a pretty overall not a bad tenure the NFL is still very very popular even though it's declining it's still very popular. And he's had plenty of issues to work out before he retires, but uh, it's been an interesting one so far. Moving on to the league, Goodell resides over the NFL Week Fifteen, an interesting week in the NFL. Uh, we're going to start with the hugest game of the seas- of the week, maybe of the season. I stepped my bounds a little bit. Uh, the Patriots beating the Steelers twenty-seven to twenty-four. Yeah, this was a game between I think two, maybe the two best teams in the AFC. I don't really see any teams with the combination of pedigree and talent and record that are going to beat these two teams, and they seem on a collision course for the AFC Championship game. This had a controversial ending. Uh, Jesse James supposedly caught the go-ahead touchdown, I'm sure you guys have seen it, only to have it overturned because the ball, quote, didn't survive the ground, end quote. Now, I've seen a lot of people talking about this issue, like, well, it was a catch, it was clearly a catch, I don't know, one thing was a catch by the letter law, whatever, whatever. But not many people are actually suggesting how to fix the law, and I think I have an idea. So what if uh it was a cat a ball it's a ca- catch if A uh the ball catcher meets the current criteria in that the ball survives the ground, he doesn't step out of bounds, etc. Et et or B if the ball is controlled when the player's down. So if the ball is not moving by the time a player's knee or elbow or something or other hits the ground, then it should be deemed a catch. I think we can all agree on that. That would get rid of things like the Des Bryant rule or some, or some, or the Des Bryant catch or something like that because if a player falls down, touches the ground, he's still controlling it when like his butt hits the ground or his knee hits the ground, and then the ball comes out because they're trying to reach for it, that'll prevent that case from happening. Now, you could argue that this rule wouldn't work in case... I don't know what case this won't work. Maybe in cases where uh, he catches it and then falls right down, the ball comes out right after, but I think that's a fumble because that, that could be considered a football move, like reaching out is a football move. Uh, turning up and then just getting the ball knocked out as a football move. So I think this all falls under the umbrella of the NFL and it could work. Anyway, sorry. Uh, Roethlisberger then would subsequently throw a pick on the fake spike going back to the game. I don't think this is a bad decision per se because it could catch a defense off guard, even a really good defense, or they haven't been as good uh, this year in the Patriots. But even if you do the fake spike, it was only third and goal. It wasn't fourth and goal, of course. So you have to make a good decision. You still have time to get a field goal off. It's not that you have to force a throw into triple coverage, which is what Big Ben did, which led to an interception. Now, with this win, the Patriots retake control of the one seed in the AFC, and I think they'll retain it because they have the Bills and the Jets left, despite being division opponents, two not very strong teams, very uh, one-dimensional or zero-dimensional teams. Uh, I don't think they'll have a chance to knock out the Patriots, especially after this confidence booster of a win. And the resurgence of Rob Gronkowski in this game down the stretch is indicative of what the Patriots want to do in the playoffs, and it's good that we saw Gronk get back to his full form, having, I think, nine catches for over 180 yards. Uh, Pretty remarkable what he can do when he's on his game. He looks pretty much unstoppable. And now with the Steelers, the uh, thing to take away from this game is the Antonio Brown injury. So, he is now out for the rest of the regular season after suffering a left leg injury, having it sandwiched ugly between two people. Um, I don't think this will hurt the Steelers for much of the regular season, actually, because they only have to face the Texans and the Browns, and the Browns are 0-14. They're uh, one of the strongest cases to get to 0-16 since the 0-8 Lions actually did it. Um, But back to why this won't really hurt the Steelers too much, because they also have some pretty good depth at wide receiver, like Martavis Bryant, like JuJu Smith-Schuster who looked good after his um suspension and this 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 receiving core will continue to develop without Antonio Brown there and i think there's similar receivers with that that deep the speed and the vertical threat so then you're not going to see too much of a difference in the Steelers offense while Antonio Brown is gone however this injury does make getting that first round by super super important for the Steelers because the third seeded Jaguars who were really bad for a really long time they're now 10-4. and four. Now, part of that is because of the division they play with. They probably don't match up too well with the Steelers, but then again, they beat them 30-9. And with that defense in the playoffs, I mean, you never really know. So it's really important that the Steelers get the bye uh, to make sure that Antonio Brown can have that extra week of rest and they don't have to force him to come out early and, and play early and risk re-injury that could lead all the way to the Super Bowl. Uh, and they're a team that definitely is of that caliber. And also the Jaguars, uh, back to them, own the tiebreaker over the Steelers. So if the Steelers end up with the same record as the Jaguars, because head-to-head, uh, they, they will they will not get this, the bye. So that's a big deal for them. So it's going to be tough, but they're going to have to win these next couple of games, and it's going to be interesting to watch. So we're not going to have an NFL recap next week, uh, but two weeks we'll talk about the playoffs and everything. Uh, other game from this week, the Rams beat the Seahawks in 42-7. Excuse me. Uh, This was utter domination. The Rams led 13-0 after one quarter and 34-0 at the half, and what this is even more shocking was because the game was at Seattle at CenturyLink Field, and this is the worst home loss for the Seahawks in the Pete Carroll era, which is a pretty long time when they've been pretty dominant throughout. So this shows not only uh, the Seahawks struggling, but also just how good this Rams team is. Now during the game... The Seahawks' offensive line, which has been weak all year, really hurt them because they gave up seven sacks, which is the most they've given up all year and one of the biggest sack totals that Russell Wilson has ever had to deal with, and even he couldn't scramble to get the team back into the game like he usually does, showing the utter dominance of the Rams' defensive line, a uh, adjective that marked this performance. And if the Seahawks, this, this hopefully this isn't a precursor for them, because if they get in the playoffs and they're on the bubble right now, they're going to face really good, defensive lines like the LA Rams, who they saw this week, or the Minnesota Vikings, who are a good team as well. And they're going to have to protect their QB, because Wilson has been a durable guy, but if he gets injured, their hopes are pretty much over, because with a, with a secondary that is as beaten up as theirs, it's going to be tough for them to make a deep run in the playoffs without Russell Wilson. Now on the Rams side, Todd Gurley had a huge game. Uh, he scored four touchdowns against this Seattle defense, which their run defense is typically pretty strong. They're not as beaten up there and yet he had 42 fantasy points in standard scoring for what it's worth uh, and four touchdowns. And it almost looks like, looked like the Seattle defense was demoralized at some points. Like At the, at the end of the first half, I, th- I think it was the end of the first half, maybe the second half, uh, there, was, there was a third and 20, and Todd Gurley had an over 30-yard touchdown. And that just shows that you, you need to have some fight. You need to attack the ball carrier. You know a run is coming on third and 20, so why don't you just attack Todd Gurley? but that, that was pretty indicative of the Seahawks' day. Now, this win shows the Rams are really going to be a force in the playoffs because we've seen them put beatdowns on teams before. Like, we know that they could beat up on weaker teams, like the Texans who they beat 33-7, the Giants who they beat 51-17, the Cardinals who they shut out 33-0, but nothing against a team of this caliber. We haven't seen them beat a quality playoff team by this much. So if they can do this against Seattle in such a hostile environment, imagine what they can do in the playoffs and the Seahawks like i said they're on the bubble and they really need to win out at this point to get in because they next week they're going to play Dallas who have the same record as them at 8 and 6 and then a mediocre, mediocre arizona team so it's definitely possible but there are a bunch of teams that are tied with them at 8 and 6 and now with the win last night atlanta controls their own destiny at 9 and 5 so they're going to need some luck and to win out uh, you never know with the, the Seahawks what they're going to do. Um, I don't think they're going to make the playoffs just because they've been really, really inconsistent. But honestly, in this era of Seahawks football, you never know. But with Atlanta winning last night, that that might have dealt a death blow to their hopes. So we're going to have to see what happens to them. Uh, yeah, like I said, no NFL recap next week, probably. Uh, but yeah, week 17, we're going to talk about preview of the playoffs, preview the matchups, preview the teams. Cannot wait for that. The next thing that we will talk about on this episode of The Wong Takes are the accusations against Jerry Richardson, or owner of the Carolina Panthers. Now, according to a Sports Illustrated report on Mr. Richardson, uh, he made sexually suggestive comments to multiple employees and said a racial slur to an African-American Panther scout. Now, this was bad in itself, but what makes this even worse is that the Panthers reached agreements with these people who agreed, they were non-disclosure agreements, so the the people agreed, hey, we're not going to say anything about it, and the Panthers said, okay, good, here's some money. Now, this, of course, is pretty wrong, and as a result, the NFL has begun investigating the Carolina Panthers and these various contracts and incidents. And this has continued the trend of powerful people getting spoken out about, we talked about it last week, getting spoken out about, and getting, getting taken down and getting their reputation stained significantly. Uh, this this does that because the NFL, their owners are some of the richest people in the world. Like, it's a, it takes a lot of money to buy an NFL team. I don't know the exact order of magnitude, but it's somewhere pretty huge. And Jerry Richardson not only had a lot of money, but he had a lot of fame. And he had a statue outside of the Panther Stadium, as well as multiple gyms and awards named after him. It's going to be interesting to see how these uh, various places respond. Like, a lot of people have declined to comment early on, just waiting until more comes out about these allegations. Um, And also, you hear only positive things about him from players. So, even a guy like Cam Newton was like, hey, look... uh, I've, I don't know if these are true. Of course, if they are, uh, I'm going to change my opinion about him, but I really hope I don't have to because he's given a lot to me. I'm paraphrasing, but that's the gist of what he said. Uh, so it's really interesting to see a guy like this having these allegations painted against him. And if these reports are true, they almost, they, they almost paint him as this, in the same light as like a Donald Sterling type. They definitely, with this pattern of repeated behavior, paint him in the same light as the rest of the, the offenders that we've seen get accused, like in Hollywood or in sports or anywhere else. And you see with him, there's the persistent uh, sexism and also the racism that he directed toward a Panther scout, but we don't know if it was more common than that. So that is like that Donald Sterling-esque type thing, the, of course, disgraced former owner of the Clippers. And now now that this has come out, uh, one can only wonder if there are going to be similar things that we hear. we start to hear about other NFL owners, because the circumstances around the league make something like this... Uh, it seems almost inevitable that it's going to happen because it's the same dynamic. Uh, There are no uh, majority African-American owners in the National Football League, so even if the rest of the NFL owners are good people, there are really situations like this where they're super powerful and super rich and no one wants to talk about them until, I don't know, they get encouraged to speak out, whether that be from everyone else or from other owners uh, getting taken down. So it's going to be interesting to see uh, moving forward. Now, Richardson, in response to all of these allegations, announced that he will step down at the end of this year. He didn't, now he didn't directly acknowledge the allegations in his resigning letter, but he's essentially admitting guilt here, and I think that's interesting that he's going to do this like right after the allegations come out, because I don't know what he, what he fears by saying this now, as opposed to just resigning at the end of the year. Uh, he's he's going to be disgraced either way. Uh, the only way he could really cop out of this is to resign now. I mean, he'll be fine. Um, but also regarding the team, uh, that was a quick turnaround. But Carolina's in playoff position right now and has a good young core, particularly particularly, excuse me, on offense. And they should do fine once their new owner comes in after Richardson steps down. Um, but the new owner is going to have to establish that winning culture early because it's not something that you, take, you want to take for granted, this, this winning idea that you're going to go all out uh, just to win. And Caroline is in a position to do so after almost winning a few years back. They've got the same quarterback. They've got a dynamic uh, pass-catching back in Christian McCaffrey, a good back in Jonathan Stewart, as well as a good receiving core. So this is going to be a fun team to watch. Now, just to plant one seed in the mind before I sign off on this topic, uh, Diddy, Sean Combs, uh, is offered to buy the team, and other people such as uh, Colin Kaepernick have offered to be a part of the ownership group, and people like Steph Curry have also supported it, who of course is a Carolina native and a huge Panthers fan. And this, this would be a good story. If the NFL got a majority African-American ownership group or owner uh, specifically, that would be nice to see for some diversity in the league because you don't, you don't see too much of that in the NFL higher-ups. So that's one thing to look at, plant the seed in your head. And let's go to something else now. Let's shift gears to the NBA playoff picture, which is pretty interesting. We're a third of the way into the year, and I've heard various people say it takes 25 games before you see a team's true identity. So most teams, I think all teams at this point, have surpassed that mark. So let's take a look at what's going on. The Eastern Conference we're going to start with is dominated by The Boston Celtics and the Cleveland Cavaliers. I don't think anyone's surprised by that. And the dominance by these teams just shows that the era of the super team, if it wasn't here before, is clearly here now. Because even with big injuries for both of these teams, uh, with that being Gordon Hayward in Boston and Isaiah Thomas in Cleveland, they're both able to have winning streaks of over 10 and still be 1-2 in the conference. And at many times they look like they're just destroying the other team, like the other team has no chance against them, like like we expected. And that shows that even without these superstars, they can this super team has quote unquote super team has the depth to sustain this level of play. I think part of the reason that the Celtics have succeeded is because Kyrie Irving is learning to be a more unselfish player in Boston. Because without LeBron, without the dominating presence of LeBron, and now he's the one guy he doesn't have to try to get his own shot as much as he used to, and it also helps him to have skilled bigs like Horford who can pass, because that way he can work more off the ball. He doesn't have to run around as much. He can get more points, as well as help spread the floor more. And meanwhile, over in Cleveland, LeBron James is as great as ever. Uh, He's still probably the best player in the world. I don't think anyone's downing that anymore. Uh, And it's hard to tell when he's going to decline, because he still has that combination of skill. He's developed his three-point shot, and of course his mid-range game has usually been there. And also the physicality of being able to drive to the rim, despite being not the tallest guy on the court. He's one of the strongest guys on the court. And he's going to bully ball you if you put a small guy on him. And that combination just makes him almost like robot-like. Like it's gonna—it's hard to see when he's not going to be able to carry a team. Like, yeah, for the last 10 years. Uh, meanwhile, in the conference, the Raptors are actually flying in under the radar. They're 20-8 they're right now, only a game and a half behind the Cavs. And they don't have any players having particularly spectacular years, but their starting lineup is actually pretty deep and able to kind of cover those, those, this lack of a super team. They've got a strong backcourt in Kyle Lowry and DeMar DeRozan, who aren't as, aren't as prolific this year as they were in the past, but the Raptors are still able to win. And their relatively new frontcourt in Serge Ibaka and Jonas Valanciunas, who provide that one-two punch and are able to also, like you said, with the Celtics in this area of the era of the NBA where you want to spread the floor. They can both do that. Uh, As well, there are other teams who are on the bubble of the playoffs near the 8th seed, and they're teams that recently rebuilt, and it's nice to see them doing well. Teams like uh, the Nets, who are uh, only a few games behind the 8th seed right now, and the Knicks, who are in the 8th seed right now. It's cool to see that once they can dump, uh, in the Knicks in particular, once they dump a big superstar like Carmelo, they can still embrace that underdog role in that big market, and um, an almost and trying to make the playoffs this year, I really think they can, uh, and also this this youthful energy that they get from trading these big stars can help boost their morale, uh, which, is, which is an understated part of sports, I think now let 's move over to the Western Conference. Um, we got more super teams in Houston and Golden State at the top of the West uh, by a pretty significant margin three and a half games. Uh, Houston hasn 't lost since Chris Paul's return on November 16th which I think is at 12 game winning streak 13 game win streak I don't know it's a pretty long winning streak. Uh, and James Harden has been a huge part of that winning streak as well as as well as of course Chris Paul, but he's continuing to distribute like he did last year with the assists and is still getting better as an offensive player. Uh, he's going to continue to develop the, the ability to get his own shot and develop his court vision. He's a player that you can tell is never going to stop getting better, especially coming from a small school like Arizona State where we, he really had to work for what he got. Uh, the Rockets are also averaging the second most points per game in the league with their prolific offense, only behind the one seed, the goal, or the two seed, sorry, the Golden State Warriors, who lead the NBA in points per game, field goal percentage, three-point percentage, and blocks, interestingly enough. Uh, they've started 4-3, and three, but they've gone 20-3 and three since, uh, most recently squeaking out a win against the Los Angeles Lakers last night. And barring an injury, I think they're still the favorite to win the championship. Just their depth. They've been without Steph Curry uh, for the last couple of games, and they've still looked like themselves, with the exception of maybe last night. So it's nothing we haven't seen from them before. Uh, I think they're still the favorite to win the championship with their experience and depth. Another team still hanging in the Western Conference race. The San Antonio Spurs. Now, even without Kawhi Leonard, who most recently came, er, recently came back, they're able to win with their experienced vets with, like, uh, Tony Parker, Danny Green, even though uh, Parker isn't playing as big of a role on the team nowadays. And also there are young players that are coming up that are providing us uh, a boost, whether it be Kyle Anderson or DeJounte Murray. Those are young, exciting stars, or will be, I think, stars in this league. Like LeBron, the Spurs never seem to decline. Um, I think they're going to get the third or fourth seed this year again. Even with the Kawhi injury, they've been able to stay in this race. So like the Warriors, they're only going to get better throughout the year. There are some teams, however, that have been disappointing so far this year, like the Oklahoma City Thunder, who we talked about last week or two weeks ago. And they remain at around 500. They can't put together a string of good games. Uh, They're going to get it together. I believe in them. They They have too much talent to not make the playoffs, but they're going to have to put together a string of good games. They haven't been able to do that so far. Uh, I don't know when the weak spots in their schedule are, but they're going to have to circle those and look to put together a run then and get some momentum for when they play the really good teams. And the same thing with the revamped Clippers, who are now led by point guard Austin Rivers and Blake Griffin. And they're currently out of the eighth spot, which, uh, of course, was not what they expected coming, out, uh, coming into this year, despite dealing Chris, Chris Paul. Um, but I, I, I trust the Clippers as well. Uh, I don't know if they can make really make a run in the playoffs just because they don't have the talent to match up with some of these super teams, but they're still a quality team in the league and are definitely better than some of the teams in front of them, like New Orleans and even Denver or Portland. So now I've got my various apps open. Let's go to the quick take. Breaking news. Green Bay Rodgers or Green Bay Packers, excuse me, quarterback Aaron Rodgers is now placed on IR due to his collarbone injury, and the Packers signed Joe Callahan, a I'm presuming quarterback from free agent somewhere else. Uh, interesting. The Packers are shutting down Rodgers. Not really surprised by this. With their most recent loss, they moved to I think seven and seven, making them now pretty much out of the playoff race in the NFC. Uh, it's a smart move to shut down Rodgers because this is a tenuous collarbone injury and this was kind of a desperate attempt to come back and he clearly wasn't himself uh he made some good throws but he also threw three picks and you don't really need that when you're probably of a low chance of making the playoffs anyway i think it's smart for them to shut down Rodgers just because you don't want to risk having something long term like guys like say andrew luck who've had these persistent injuries because they just they played through it because at the time it was considered you know glorious and valorous but it's really not smart to do, especially at this point now that you're out of the playoffs. So the the Packers will be fine going forward. Uh, good move to shut down Rodgers. Interesting that they don't trust, well, they, they do trust Brett Hundley. He's probably going to be starting for them uh, next week and for the rest of the year. Thank you so much for listening to the Wong Takes Check us out in all of the places. You know all of the places. The podcast on the website, bit.ly slash the long takes there. You can find a full archive of the show. And also send questions about what you want to hear or comments or concerns. The Patreon at p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash the long taking. You get perks like getting your name shouted out on the podcast or in the description of another podcast. That would be pretty cool, don't you think? Also email me the long takes at gmail dot com with anything you want to to know or ask or anything also don't forget to rate the podcast on iTunes and Google play uh, thank you so much for listening and I will see you um, actually I will see you sometime uh probably before next week but maybe in two weeks uh yeah.